0: Welcome in, 845. Great to see you this morning. I'm glad you're here. Um, Aaron's right, we're gonna jump back into our teaching series, The Sermon on the Mount, okay? So go ahead and turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter six. Matthew chapter six, Sermon on the Mount. We don't have a lot of time to get caught up, but um, we've been in this series since last fall, and we finished chapter five at the end of 2023 before we jumped into our Christmas teaching series. And now we're picking back up in chapter 6, going to roll through the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. Um, I was going to mention this later, but I'll mention it now. If you go to Keystone Church on whatever podcast platform you use, we have a podcast of the sermons. And so it's helpful sometimes you're like, I need to catch up or I don't have context. Man, go check out those sermons. They're on the website as well, but that podcast is helpful. All right, Matthew chapter 6, back in... The Sermon on the Mount, which is the near one writer says, the nearest thing to a manifesto that Jesus ever uttered. We find in this, he writes Jesus' own description of what he, what he wanted his followers to do and to be. That's what Sermon on the Mount tells us. Jesus says, this is what I want you to do and to be. Manifesto. Keystone, close thing to a manifesto we have is like we have a purpose statement, which is to... Fabulous, wow. No one followed Jesus. Yes, that's, and out of that flows of values at Keystone Church. Church. Did you know this? Like, we stand in all of God's word. We give like it all belongs to God. We're a spiritual family. Um, on and on we could go. Uh, we reach the next generation. In some ways, that's, a, that's kind of a manifesto of Keystone. If you're around here long, we're, we're on mission with those things. And so, this writer says, this is kind of the closest thing we have from from Jesus' own mouth about here's what I want you to know and here's what I want you to do. Sermon on the Mount is a manifesto. and we finished chapter five as we mentioned. All, chapter five, if we had to sum it up, we would say it's all about righteousness, all right? Matthew chapter five, all about righteousness. If you have your Bible open, look, uh, verse six, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be filled. So, some of us did that over-prepare when we fasted, right? Righteousness was our nourishment for a period of days. Look, at ver- look, jump down to verse 20 of chapter five. It's kind of the other end of the spectrum. We, sh- we should hunger and thirst for it, but then Jesus had told us, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So there's a, there's a righteousness that falls short of the kind of righteousness that helps us be in right standing with God. And so, again, we talked a lot about that throughout chapter five. You might ask this question, isn't the Sermon on the Mount then an impossible standard? Like how can I have that kind of of righteousness? Look at 548, this is where we ended uh, chapter five. Look what 548 says. Be perfect therefore as your heavenly Father is perfect. That was my New Year's resolution. How do you think I'm doing? (laughs) You're laughing at me. It's okay, because if that was my New Year's resolution, I wouldn't be doing great. Kevin DeYoung, pastor, writes this. Who among us is never, who among, when Jesus says, be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect, DeYoung writes this. Who among us never worries, never lusts, never gets angry, never lies, is never a hypocrite, always loves his enemies, always follows the golden rule, always serves God alone? Answer is, none of us. Here it's good to recall, he writes this about what Jesus says there. Here it's good to recall, listen, the distinction between, you ready? True obedience and perfect obedience. The Sermon on the Mount distinguishes that true obedience, perfect obedience. The young finishes, there's a way to insist on genuine or true obedience as a way of life without doubling down on never sinning and always doing what is right. Listen, for our imperfections, there is the righteousness of another. His name is Jesus. And so in the righteousness of Christ, who was the only, the only one, the God-man who obeyed perfectly, I run to that righteousness for my salvation. But in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says there's this true obedience which should mark our life. An obedience that, that exceeds the obedience or the righteousness of sort of those hypocritical religious leaders in his day, the scribes and the Pharisees who Jesus directed a lot of this toward. So let's move into chapter six, all right? That's, that's review for you. Gets us up to speed, chapter, chapter five, all about righteousness. Jesus, in chapter six, one commentary notes this: Jesus uses three examples of Jewish pious acts—giving, praying, and fasting. So, as we begin into chapter six, we're going to see Jesus takes—he's he, going—he's—he's he's going from interior in five almost to exterior, like the interior life motivated by righteousness to the exterior life motivated by righteousness. So, three pious acts in the Jewish culture of the day: giving, praying, fasting, and. This commentary notes, Jesus wants to make one primary point. Obedience in public does not guarantee a reward from God because one's motive is more important than one's outward activity. And I know you're like, tell me something I don't know, right? Like, it's hypocritical to come and to go through the motions and do the things that God says we should do, but inside our heart is unrighteous. We, those of us who stand before God, we know that's not acceptable. But Jesus and chapter 6 is going to talk about that when it comes to not just the virtues of our lives that he talked about in chapter 5, but now in chapter 6, sort of the public display of what it looks like to know and follow Jesus. In this area of giving and praying and fasting, these areas of giving, praying, and fasting, our obedience in public doesn't guarantee a reward from God because our motive is more important than just our outward activity. It's not... Brothers and sisters in Christ, it's not okay to just go through the motions like I do this because if it's not for the right reason, based on righteousness and the motive of our heart, how's the motive of my heart? How's the motive of your heart? So Jesus starts with giving. Welcome back to church. We're going to talk about money. I'm so excited. Um, Nothing better than the preacher talking about money. Matthew 6, we're only going to get to verse 4, all right? These are the words of God, inspired, infallible. Inerrant words of God to us, receive them as such. Matthew 6, 1. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father in heaven. So whenever you give to the poor, don't sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogue and on the streets to be applauded by people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. When you give to the poor, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. Here's something you're gonna notice if you come back in a couple weeks. The language stays very much the same as Jesus goes from giving to praying to fasting. The language stays a lot the same. Matthew chapter six, verse one. Um, What is he talking about here with giving? We need to talk about that first. Two things I wanna talk about quickly. Contemporary and ancient. Ancient right? The contemporary audience, the ancient audience. Um, The King James captures what Jesus is talking about in the ancient audience here. I don't think this is on a screen, but King James says this, take heed that you do, uh, see what it says in verse one in the CSB, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others. Uh, King James says it like this, take heed that ye Do not your alms before men to be seen of them, otherwise you have no reward of your father which is in heaven. I'm sorry, that's, yeah, that's verse one. So King James uses that word alms. What do we mean by alms? What was alms? Well, the giving Jesus is talking about here is a little different than what we think of giving. Contemporary audience, Jonathan Pennington and his commentary, really helpful here. He writes this, Jesus uses alms giving or giving to help the needy. What does that make you think of? Well, he helps us. In our own church experience, Keystone, thousands of years later, especially in the affluent West, <laughs> the affluent Ankeny, many think of almsgiving as tithing, something we do, or the weekly offering plate donation. We don't pass a plate, but there's boxes here. You can give online. Did you know there's three ways to give online? I'm not going to go into all that. But there's ways we give, right? We, those of us who give to the church, we understand this. He writes, the weekly offering plate donation that goes to support pastoral staff, the operating expenses of the church, missionary efforts. That, listen, what Jesus is saying here would apply to this kind of financial sacrifice. We're gonna get to that, all right? So it does apply to us because when, I, when Jesus says, listen, give with the right motive, you're like, oh yeah, my, my tithe to the church, or when I write that check, or oh, when I give online. Jesus is talking about that in a contemporary context, but there's an ancient context to talk about. What was Jesus, and we want to be careful with the Bible like this, right? We want, to, we want to see what the Bible's saying culturally. What was Jesus talking about in his day? Let's go to the ancient audience. Pennington helps us. However, the issue addressed here in the ancient audience is a more specific kind of giving that was far more common and accepted as essential to personal piety in ancient Judaism and ancient Christianity. You with me? Back then, giving, directly, giving was done directly to help the poor and needy. He writes, in a time and place with great poverty and subsistence living, they weren't living like we live in Ankeny. And you're like, tell me something I don't know, Fry. I know. But they lived with great poverty and by subsistence. There was no government assistance. And the needs of the then needy were met by the community. This was more than just custom. It finds specific instructions in the scriptures and was considered essential to what it means to be a faithful person. Deuteronomy 15, 11 refers to this. Actually, James 1, refers to this. So in the culture of the day, it was expected. And we see this sometimes in our culture. We can go places in our community and see, we can see poor and needy people right in our face. Not the kind of thing we think of like, well, I would write a check at church for that. No, we see that in our day. Understand, in the ancient culture, what Jesus is saying is that was all around the people. And the way they gave was directly to those people. They, they didn't have like, well, do I get a tax break? for this? It didn't work like that. The, the subsistence living demanded that giving had to be done directly to the needy. And so it was a very public thing. And some of us, maybe you've been to the majority world. And you've seen what that kind of poverty is. Again, we have a taste of this. So... So, we'll get to how this works in our contemporary setting because we do have some things to say there that are going to be, I think, important for us at Keystone as givers. But understand the ancient, the ancient issue of almsgiving that Jesus is addressing. I think that's important. Um, so, in that statement I read, as it kind of settles, it's a statement I think that captures, here's a statement I think that captures what Jesus is saying there in verses one through four. Are you ready? Here's what I think Jesus is trying to help us think about. Give toward true reward, okay? Maybe you wanna write that down and remember that. Give toward true reward. Toward true reward. What are you giving for? What am I giving for? Give toward true reward. Give toward true reward. I want us to consider together some observations Jesus makes, he connects some things. You ready? First things, the first thing he connects, and we're gonna talk some more about righteousness, Jesus connects righteousness and reward in verse one. Uh, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others, to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father in heaven. See that? Give toward true reward. First thing Jesus does, he connects, his, he connects righteousness and reward. Um, one writer says this, continuity is found in the issue of righteousness. We, we've talked about this. That's how I started this morning. Jesus is continuing the discussion about greater righteousness. It's necessary to enter the kingdom of heaven and that's how he began the whole thing in chapter five. So Jesus, he's going back to chapter five. He's talking, he's bringing righteousness through. That's the continuity of the Sermon on the Mount. Greater righteousness. Great. Listen, listen, uh, flourishing, wholeness is a righteousness that is different than just what's on the surface. It describes the depth of your heart. It, it reaches to your motives. It's a righteousness that's transformed. And so Jesus is pulling back. I mean, he didn't have chapter five. He's speaking it's right? But he's pulling back into what he's already said and don't, says, don't forget about that righteousness. This is the kind of righteousness you've got to have. If you're not going to lust, and if you're not going to hate your enemies, if you're going to love them, and if you're going to do all the things he talked about in 5, and then he says, and then if you're going to act a certain way in your giving, in your praying, in your fasting, which were very public displays, Jesus says that same righteousness has to be evident of a motive that your heart is right, that my heart is right. So righteousness. Here's what he adds, though. Reward. Are you a rewards member? Do they say that everywhere or what? Uh, one of the places hits me like, when I get gas, uh, this happened to me, like from gas to Gatorade. That's where I struggle with the reward thing. You get gas at the pump, it's like, what is it, 50 below right now? I just wanna press those buttons as quickly as I can. And a lot of places, I was traveling this weekend, a lot of places I get gas, I'm, I'm not a rewards member. So I'm just like, come on, come on, come on, come on. And it's, do you wanna use your rewards? I don't have rewards. I just want to get back in my car and pump the gas, right? Skip, skip, I'm not interested in that. Then you go inside, get a Gatorade, right, or whatever. It's like, uh, you check out, I just want the Gatorade, get my car, you have our rewards program? I don't have a rewards pro- I told the pump I didn't have it. Maybe they didn't, maybe tell you, but I don't have it. Would you like to apply? I would not like to apply. I'd like to get my Gatorade, get back in my car. Are you rewards? Some of you love rewards. There's there's other places you love rewards, right? Gives you access to certain parking, certain seats on the airplane. Are you a member of our rewards program? Jesus says here, righteousness. Listen, the proper righteousness as, as the motive of our heart is met with reward. It's an added Pennington, again, says it's an added flavor or an accent to what he's already said about righteousness. It kills any notion of altruism. You know what altruism is like? Well, I just give because it's the right thing to do. Listen, God says you give, but you don't just give because it's the right thing to do. You give because there's reward. Some of you are like, right on. But Jesus links righteousness with reward. I love, listen to this. Pennington, again, God is not shy to reveal himself as a reward-offering God, appealing to his creatures to pursue the way of being that will offer them the only sure and true flourishing. God says, you want a top reward program? You don't want to hit skip on the pump, Matt. You want these rewards. These rewards are the only source of true flourishing. What are they? We'll get to them. Jesus links flourishing, uh, rather righteousness flourishing with Reward. Look how Jesus promises this. This is Mark 10. Truly I tell you, Jesus said, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mothers or father or children or fields for my sake and for the sake of the gospel who will not receive a reward. 100 times! Now at this time, in other words, in this life, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and fields with persecution. In other words, in this life, you get reward back, even though it comes with hardship. Some of us, you're like, I'm far from home in Iowa, but I have people in Iowa who are my people. The reward has been spiritual family that's more important right now than my family. Reward. Reward of a a righteousness that says, I'm willing to go. Jesus says, with persecutions, and then, look, an eternal life in the age to come. There's a clue as to the righteousness that meets, or the reward that meets the righteousness of our heart. The true righteousness that comes from a heart that's changed and becomes the motor for why we do things like give is linked to to looking toward true reward In Hebrews 11, it says this, Moses considered reproach for the sake of Christ to be greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt since he was looking ahead to reward. Looking ahead to reward. What kind of giving looks toward the true reward? Think about that. Brothers and sisters in Christ, Keystone, friends, family, examine your heart. What what does it look like to give toward true reward? That's a question we need to ask ourselves. Um, any connection groups here over the holiday season? Did you do a white elephant? Any of you connection groups? Yeah, I see a lot of you. Now you gotta decide to do with that, what to do with that thing you got, right? Um, I, we, we do ours every year and ours is, I, I love ours uh, because we always say like white elephant, but our group's kinda diverse in that we have people who, who give the gift nobody wants, but then we also have people who give the gift everybody wants. Right? Like, it's supposed to be a white elephant, but every now and then, there's the magic gift card. Right? I mean, it could be to the movies. It could be to Chick-fil-A. I got the Chick-fil-A one this year. (laughs) (laughs) Kids. Or you go home with the stuffed animal they got at the carnival when they were an adolescent. Right? You're like, what am I going to do with this? My kid's, I mean, it's filthy. I don't want this. I mean, the white elephant's one of those things we, my group's so good at it, we come all with mixed motives. Like, here's what I'm giving. And sometimes, like I'm giving something really nice, or I can't wait to get this out of my house. Or we come and we say, Well, I'm giving something nice and I hope I get something. It's the most conflicting thing, right? Well, I wonder, when it comes to your giving to God, when when we see Jesus talk about the interplay of righteousness that drives reward, why are you giving? Why am I giving? Toward true reward. Would you say the desire of my heart is to give toward true reward? And the, listen, the direct application to the ancient audience of don't give so that others can see, we'll get to that, but that's, that's not as much an issue for us, right? It's not like you're like, hey, everybody, I'm gonna put my tithe in the box now back here. Everybody watching? It's not a problem for us. But the issue that Jesus is addressing is what is the reward you're giving toward? Because for us, if it's not If it's not to be recognized, rooting out the unrighteousness of our own heart, there might be something else there. So Jesus connects righteousness with reward and says, give toward a true reward. What kind of giving does that? Well, this is the second thing Jesus connects, all right? He connects righteousness with reward. Then he connects expectation and evaluation, all right? Two and three, let me read it again. So whenever you give to the poor... Interesting. Whenever. So, if you give to the poor, is that what he says? Whenever. So, whenever you give to the poor, don't sound a trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be applauded by people. Think of the context. Giving is very public to people. There's no safety net in the culture. It's like this is something that happens publicly. Alms giving. The needy get theirs. It's part of who we are as a culture in a very public way. So, so when you give to the poor, don't sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogue, on the streets, to be applauded by people. Truly I tell you, they have the reward. But when you give to the poor, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Jesus says, give toward true reward. So he connects, all right, expectation and evaluation. What does that look like then? And this is where I think he, It's important for us, expectation. Notice, I I focused on, you should underline verse two, so whenever you give, expectation is this, ready? I should be giving. Uh, One writer says, Jesus doesn't raise the question whether his followers will engage in these things, but assuming that they will, teaches them how to do it. Don't wanna step on toes here, but if you're here and you know and follow Jesus and you don't give, that's a problem. Jesus says, whenever you give, the assumption is that I will be giving. One writer even doubled down. He said this the assumption is that all religious people in Jesus' day, hypocritical or not, are performing this act. So Jesus, like, listen, even the hypocrites are expected to give. We need to address their motive, but even if you're a hypocrite, you need to give. It's like you're not off the hook if you're a hypocrite. But Jesus says, your motive should, here's the expectation we all should be giving. How's that land? Man, there's been seasons in my life where I have fought God about giving. And I don't know what it is. I mean, money seems like something right in front of us. Time, resources, whatever it may be. Where's your heart before God to say, I meet the expectation? Jesus says, whenever. Whenever we give. Um, Then the evaluation. The evaluation, are my motives right in giving? And I, I want to get very specific to the text, and then I want to draw out of the text. It's interesting. The problem here in the motive of giving was for public display. So let's let's talk about doing something in a way that you get recognition and the danger of that. Giving is the particular one. We're going to look at prayer, even fasting, but it was a huge problem in the in the context. Um, I think I think this is interesting. Uh, look at the comparison. The contrast, rather. This is 5.16. Let your light shine before others. We we covered that. It's in a sermon, right? We covered that back in chapter five. Let your light shine before others. But then look what Jesus says in verse one. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. Well, which is it, Jesus? And I think those of us who know the Bible, we can make the distinction. Let your light shine before others. when, When you're hiding and you should show, show. But when you're showing and you should hide, hide. Isn't that helpful? I think I put that on the screen. Someone else wrote that. Uh, I got that quote and I really liked it. Yeah, there it is. Show when tempted to hide and hide when tempted to show. Jesus says, Let your light shine before men. Here's what I know about a lot of prayer requests from, from Keystone people over prepare. I need to be a better witness at the workplace. Anybody? A lot of us. You know why? Because when you should show, it's too easy to hide. And you should be showing. But sometimes in our own self-piety, in unrighteousness, when our motors are right, it's like, well, look at all the stuff I'm doing. When we should hide, we want to show. Um, fasting's one. It was easy for me to come in here after prepare or during preparing. You're fasting with everybody. It's like, oh, yeah, I'm, are you, yeah, I'm doing the entire fast. I haven't, I'm not drinking anything for a week after even. Like, so it's easy to talk to each other about that, right? But when we broke the fast, we went to a restaurant, and one of the waiters was like, so, you know, I heard you guys are from a church group. What? Are you, and It's like, do you really want to tell her? Like, yeah, we've all been fasting for three days. Like, I didn't want to go there. I just wanted to eat the food, right? But it's kind of harder in front of someone who doesn't have a context for that. Oh, it's a little embarrassing. Like, yeah, we're not really a cult, but we kind of did this thing together where none of us ate for, there's hundreds of us did it. We all showed up at church when the weather was bad. It's, it's a long story. Easier to hide. Jesus said, Show. Well, man, it's easy to walk around in front of each other like, check this out. Jesus says, hide when you wanna show. Man, am I convicted by that. I texted that quote to my kids this week. and said, learn this. Show when you're tempted to hide and hide when you're tempted to show. Because hypocrites do the opposite. And Jesus says, here's the expectation or here's the evaluation. What are your motives in giving? What What are your motives in any area of life uh, again, I like the phrase there, don't let the left hand know what the right hand is doing. Scholar says it's simply a metaphor for different members of the body not performing deeds for the purpose of recognition or for, per, for the purpose of recognition. Sounding a trumpet and in secret are evocative, poetic, memorable, can't say that, images meant to communicate the heart, mo- the heart matter of motive. My tendency is either to blow the trumpet, look what I've done, or to put the things in secret that shouldn't be in secret. I get them backwards. Show when we're tempted to hide, hide when we're tempted to show. Disciples can have confidence that non-self-promoting secret, listen to this, disciples can have confidence that non-self-promoting secret acts of piety will be rewarded because their confidence is based in the reality that God is a heavenly father who sees what happens in secret and that he knows all things. So, get your phone ready, all right? I don't usually say that in a sermon, it's not in the Bible. These are from Lig and Duncan. So, when it comes back to the way we give today, what are, what are some expectations and evaluations Jesus has? I think I have these on the screen. Do I realize giving is a part of worship? I'd recommend you get these. I think we can provide a link to them on a podcast, I can get them to you later. Do I give in light of Jesus' costly sacrifice? Do I give in proportion to the material blessings God has given me? I'm reading them to give you time to maybe think about them, write them down, get a picture. Do I realize that God has given me much so that I can give much? Expectation evaluation. Is my giving something I do wholeheartedly or indifferently or grudgingly? These are all examples that come into our culture today of wrong motives in giving. Jesus is talking about almsgiving. It was a thing in a culture of the day. But listen, the New Testament pulls that principle forward and asks questions like this. Is there joy in my heart to give? Can I truly be characterized as a cheerful giver? Uh, I told you get your phone ready for that, but here's what I really want you to get your phone ready for. Um, we've been talking about this. This is probably the best way to do this. Go back, go back to that other screen. Thank you. These are, these are examples of desire. Like, these all get to my desire. They, they all challenge my desire or not to give. Sometimes I want to give grudgingly. And Paul says, that's wrong. But for some of us, you read that and you're like, Matt, that's the desire of my heart. I, what I lack is the discipline. Right? It's like my finances are a mess. All of us have been there. I, I, to me, I'm convicted by this, Matt. My motive, before God, my motive's right. My desire is right. When it comes to expectation, evaluation, whenever you give, Matt, that hits me right between the eyes because I know I should give, but I'm a mess right now. All right, let's go from allow those, allow those issues of desire to land on whom they need to land upon. Let's talk about discipline. There's uh, stewardship, Keystone stewardship. You ready for this? We we are going to do some financial equipping, all right? And if you're here and you say, maybe it's a a desire problem and a discipline problem. You really need this. Maybe it's just a discipline problem. Maybe it's like the desire's there, but you know what? I need some tools. I need some help. We want to do that. As, as church leaders, we want to come alongside you. And if you follow that QR code, if you talk to whoever is at the welcome space after the service today, they can get you connected to these opportunities of financial equipping. I, I don't have time to go into what all is going to be covered in these, but I can tell you this. If you're here and you're like, whew, whenever you give expectation, I'm not meeting that expectation. This can take you on the journey of saying, hey, the righteousness matches the reward I'm I'm giving toward true reward. I'm going to get this issue settled financially. And man, it's quiet in here because we're talking money. I understand. But we want to help you. We want to help you do what God wants us to do, right? He has expectations for us to give. We should be giving people. And in that, He has us evaluate okay, what are the motives of my heart in giving? Am I giving toward a true reward? All right, if you can not get that with your phone, that's on you. Your technology is not good. All right? We're moving. Jesus connects uh, righteousness, reward, expectations, evaluations. Last thing. It's beautiful. He connects fatherhood and faithfulness. Uh, Verse four. So that, in other words, giving out of the right motives, so that, Your giving may be in secret, and your father, your father. Um, Father, that word, father. There's some of you, when I say father, it can make you cry right now. For good reasons or for bad reasons, right? Father is a powerful title. Jesus says, your father who sees in secret will reward you. One writer notes this, an important notion is that is highlighted in verse 1 is that that of God as heavenly Father, listen to this. Of the 17 references to God as Father in the Sermon on the Mount, 10 of them occur in verses 1 through 21 of chapter 6. This super concentration of Father references the center of the central section of the sermon, and it accentuates the vital role this understanding of God played in early Christianity. And I would tell you this, it plays no less of a role today to talk about God as a father who says, listen, I see it. When you want to hide, show. And when you want to show, hide and Leave it to me. I see the motive of your heart. And when you do this in righteousness whether nobody else knows. And it's hard not to let people know, did you see what I did? Did you see the sacrifice I made? That's hard sometimes. The Father sees. Sixteen times in these few verses, Jesus says, the Father sees, the heavenly Father. Dear heavenly Father. You know why we say that? That's who he is. Jesus doubles down on that. Listen, I don't know what your earthly father was like, but Jesus says God is the heavenly father, the perfect father, 16 times. He sees, he knows. Jesus says giving, to, giving toward the true reward is an, is an issue of being sons and daughters of a father. Matthew, later in the sermon, Jesus says this, everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened who among you if his son asks for bread will give him a stone or if he asks for a fish will give him a snake if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children how much more will your father in heaven He's a good good father. I think it's a song. I wanted to sing it today. Didn't work out. I threatened to sing it but I won't. But I could You're a good father, that's who you are. I'm loved by you, that's who I am. Giving toward the true reward is celebrating the faithfulness of God the Father, anticipating that faithfulness. One writer says, the idea of reward in Christianity needs great care. We do not become Christians because of what we hope to get, but in an adoring response to the incredible generosity of God. Such is his generosity that he does, in fact, lavish good things upon the objects of his love, both in this life, and we are assured after it. But reward is nothing to do with our merit. It is everything to do with his character of irrepressible generosity. He's a good, good father, and he's faithful. Jesus connects fatherhood, faithfulness. A lot of us have learned from an author and a pastor, John Piper. He writes this critical question for our generation and for every generation is this. If you could have heaven with no sickness and with all the friends you ever had on earth and all the food you ever liked and all the leisure activities you ever enjoyed and all the natural beauties you ever saw, all the physical pleasures you ever tasted, and no human conflict or any natural disasters. Could you be satisfied in heaven if Christ were not there? Giving toward the true reward is celebrating and anticipating the how much more faithfulness of God to give us the righteousness of Jesus when we're not perfect. And to change the motives of our heart toward his righteousness. Give toward the true reward. The how much more faithfulness of God means I forgive because of how much more God has forgiven me. I go because of how much more God has gone to save me. And I give because of how much more God has given me toward true reward. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can call you that. We thank you that you have given us your son Jesus to meet us in our unrighteousness perfectly. The only one. And So God, in the power of that righteousness, we desire to lay down impure motives that make us act in ways when we evaluate God, are not righteous won't help us flourish, won't lead to wholeness. So God, we thank you for the challenge of Jesus that we would examine our hearts and that we would be people who give toward the true reward, looking forward, looking around at the faithfulness of you as our Father, celebrating, anticipating that. We thank you in Jesus' name.